Before we get started with today's show, I wanted to tell you about another great ESPN podcast you should listen to. The C.J. McCollum Show, where every week New Orleans Pelicans star C.J. McCollum discusses names and storylines in and around the NBA with the inside perspective you can only get from someone in the locker room and on the floor. That's the C.J. McCollum Show. Listen where you are listening to this podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Right Time. My name is Bomani Jones. Thanks for listening wherever you get your podcast. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. Also, thanks for watching us on YouTube. It is Foxworth Friday. Dominique Foxworth, what's going on? What's up, man? Everybody got a podcast. Everybody got a podcast. By the way, is it is it uh frigid down your way? Like it's look getting nah. a little frigid up. Not frigid, but it's yeah, it's, yeah. it's it it's it's autumnal. Yeah, it's perfect. I was in um in New York the other day and it's different when you're home. I really I rarely look at the weather because it's never like drastic enough for me to like care. Like I know generally what it is, mm-hmm. but like you get up in the morning, you put on what you put on. When you're home, you got these options. But I was in New York the other day, and I had to shop when the plane land. Even though I wasn't on the plane, <laughs> I walked outside. I was like, "Nah, this this ain't going. This ain't gonna happen." I went to the first <laughs> store, got me a hat and and a nice little jacket, and I felt a lot better. I, I think that's also me getting old because I looked at the weather and was like, "It ain't even that cold." But I'm feeling it. <laughs> <laughs> nah, plus you down there, when you come up here, you over there by that water. And that's a little different. That's an interesting New York quirk, which is the somehow this place is that small, but the weather can be different depending yeah. upon where you are. Absolutely. get protected by them buildings in some yes. places, but down at the seaport, yeah, you're on the coast and that breeze, <laughs> that hawk be out. The yeah, hawk. I, had to, I had to get some protection. Hey, man, we got a lot to talk about here. We're going to talk a little bit about some NBA. Uh, But first, last week, we talked about uh, Dan Snyder. And, you know, the word was that he was going to come out here and tell on everybody, right? And that was going to be, I guess, his protection from what now appears to be an inevitable outcome. And um, then Jim Irsay at the owners meeting walked into a bunch of reporters, saw the camera, saw the microphones, and was like, nah, nah, maybe we should get this dude up out of here. Yeah, yeah, like, we say we stand for it. Do we stand for it or not? And I don't know if they sent Jim Mercer out there to be the one to do it. I, I'm not sure that Jim Mercer didn't make that call on his own. I had that same thought. If there's anybody who can potentially be a loose cannon in that group, he's the first one. So it's yes. funny either way. If he just decided to go off the cuff, that's hilarious. But it's also funny that what I think happened is they were sitting in the back room and was like, we don't know if he got this dirt or not. Who can we put out there that would not be afraid of having his dirt exposed? The guy whose dirt is already out there. Jim, go tell us, man, what we talking about. Well, so it's interesting you say that. Um, my good buddy Greg Doyle of the Indianapolis Star wrote a column after Ursay did that. And in the column, he mentioned that when the story first broke from ESPN about Snyder, that he hit Ursay and said, hey, you know, you want to talk about this? And the Ursay response, I don't think it's a direct quote, but this is in effect, was not right now. Right. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like early on, Ursay, regardless of who had told him to, 
had decided that he was going to say something about this, right? So again, maybe the homies decided he was going to be the one to come out there. But I do have, I mean, I feel like at least the way it read to me was that this was a call that he decided to make. You got to keep in mind, he got different sensibilities than most of his owners do. Like you go look at his political donations and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. This the man that's like, yo, handing the team over to the daughters, already got him in here getting ready for this stuff. You know, like he's, he's a little different on that end. But you hit on what stuck out to me, which was, what you going to do? Tell yeah. people I once got caught with dope and a bunch of money? Oh, that's already happened. Now, hasn't it? <laughs> what, what you going to do to me? They know my dirt. I got a buddy in Durham who had his dirt put out there. Um, when he was a teenager it's a very 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 long story right but it's mm -hmm. his mom was in politics and some stuff came up with him or whatever it was and i remember he told me he was like there was a certain liberation that he got from the fact that everybody knew right there was nothing to hide that was no effort that he could put in on that because everybody knew what his situation was but with ursay and the owners what i got to thinking about and what i'm curious you think about is Dan Snyder, have you not been paying attention? You can say whatever you want about these dudes. It ain't going to matter what you're going to do. Say Jerry Jones got a love child. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's happened. Someone is, <laughs> that has been put out here. Nothing has changed. You think you think you about to get these dudes? Or how about this? Look at yourself. Yeah. We have all this dirt that's out here about you. And up to now, nothing has really happened, right? right. So yeah. if Snyder really thought that I'm just going to expose these dudes, yeah, then you're going to see what happens. Like, it might work on Goodell. Goodell might be shook. These other cats, they're like, yeah, 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 you go ahead and do that. Let me know how it worked out for you, big dog. <laughs> I mean, I think that if they take the long view of it, that's probably the way they react. But don't nobody want their business in the streets. Mm -hmm. don't, don't nobody want to go to their country clubs or they probably too rich for tr country clubs. I don't know where they go. Don't nobody want to walk up in there, have their wife and their kids walking around town feeling uh, embarrassed or ashamed. So like, I do think it's a legitimate threat, but I don't think that I guess. So this, this speaks to a bunch of points you make. I think that Jim Irsay was just phase two. And I think that Jim Irsay knew he was going to be phase two before that article came out. That is as talented as Tisha Thompson and Seth Wickersham and Don Van Nada are. I do not believe this to be some sort of deep CIA investigation <laughs> uncovering. No, the owners were like, all right, they probably sent some back channel information to Dan Snyder. This is how this stuff normally works. Like, look, we need you to move on. They got word back through those same back channels. Dan Snyder said, I ain't going nowhere. All right. So then they're like, you know what? Phase two, we're going to put this article out there to try to shame him and also hide in there that we're not going to help you fund your stadium. Like they put all these little pieces in there. They want him to know this could get really uncomfortable for you. So we're going to shame you publicly. We're going to make you seem like a bad guy. Whether he has dirt or not, we're going to make you look embarrassed and terrible and also let you know we ain't got your back on this money and we will vote you out and then he responded by saying you know what i ain't going nowhere and he was like all right time for phase two 
at the owners' meetings, we're gonna we're gonna slide Ursay out there. This is what you say, Ursay. And they looked around the room or and thought like, who can do this? Just like you said, they threatening Jim Ursay to pull his pants down, but he ain't wearing no pants. So it's <laughs> like you you can't threaten me with that, Dan. They already know all my business. And phase three is I believe is this second report. They're going to like eventually leak the information from that report, and then phase four is at the March owners' meetings. If nothing happens until then, then like I'm kind of hoping that Dan Snyder sticks around because that's what I really want. I want to <laughs> see who actually going to vote. I want this vote to go down. And they're using this second report as a way to stall. They don't need a second report. They already got one report verbal, mind you, because they didn't want anything written down. But they could have voted. If all the stuff that um, Ursay was saying, like this ain't what we represent, if all that stuff is true. Y'all could have voted right then and there. This next report ain't going to exonerate him. Right. Like, I don't know what they're waiting for. They just, uh, I do know what they're waiting for. I just wish that they wouldn't wait for it. Now, I do agree. A button has definitely been pushed, right? The mm. decision has been made. And I say that if for no other reason than, like, I remember, I guess it's 2015, 2016. I can't remember what year. But there was a column in the paper in Baton Rouge that was like, they, bought, they try to move less miles out. Right. And people are like, well, do you think Les Miles is going to survive? And I said, no, because it never gets this far. And the dude ultimately wind up surviving. Now, what was wild is Les kind of did survive. Right. They won that last game and they got soft and then, you know, let it go around. But then early next year, they lose that game to Wisconsin as company. All right. Now time's up. And they got him up out the paint. So once it gets to this point where they're doing these things, the decision has been made. And it just becomes a matter of does Dan Snyder have enough backup to do it. And he had enough backup that he bought all those minority owners out when they were trying to push him out of there. Like, I'll give him this. He has survived longer than most people would under an assault and onslaught from the NFL, right? That 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 part, he's pulled off. But I had another thought about Ursay. You know, he's kind of now like one of the venerables. I mean, he has been in charge of that team now as owner for 25 years. He's yeah. been actually in charge and basically existing as the de facto owner for much longer than this. Like, this isn't the same thing as, like, one of the Roonies or one of the Maras coming out here and saying something, but this is not some dude who just showed up, right? This isn't David Tepper. This is a guy whose family has owned a team in this league for quite a while who made the call and the decision that he was going to come out here and he was going to do this, right? So the old guard has decided. I do find it interesting, though. They could have easily shut this down and just sent uh, Dan Rooney or whichever Rooney it is that's running things now out there to say something. However, did you see that series in the Pittsburgh newspaper about uh, the original Art Rooney? Mm -mm. Oh, you got to look this up. I want to say this was last week. It was a six-part series about how the original Rooney, the OR, was running the numbers and in on the bootleg game in Pittsburgh back in the day, right? And how it was this known, this open secret. And by the way, this stuff's been in books, right? But it was this known and this open secret that he was kicking it with the mobsters. He was kicking it with all these people, running all, you know, running all this stuff. Um, and so maybe you don't send a Rooney out there because then Dan Snyder's like, oh, y'all over here talking about me. Uh, the other interesting thing, by the way, and I don't want to get too deep into this right now, but I do think you should check the stories out. One thing that was interesting to note was that the Steelers were terrible until they were the Steel Curtain. Like you go back and look at the history. They were probably the worst team in the NFL 
up to that point, everything got better when the mobster owner stopped running the team. He stopped running the team in 1968. And then I want to say it was Dan Rooney who then got a hold of the team. And then you see what happened after that. It's actually kind of hilarious that we think of this man as this venerable stalwart of the NFL when in reality, he was the one holding him back. A little bit too busy out here breaking the law. <laughs> that I mean, generally we don't talk about the impact that owner has, has on the team very much. We talk about coaches, general managers, and most of the time we just blame quarterbacks. But mm-hmm. I mean, it starts at the top. It's normally a fair way to put it, especially over a long extended period of time. Is like yeah, that stuff is going to sort itself out. But I had a I stumbled on a random uh, Steelers fact. A couple of days ago that I ended up putting in my podcast. I don't know how we ended up on this Steelers tangent, but during World War II, like a lot of people got deployed. So for the 44 season, the Steelers and the Eagles merged and played as the Steagles, which I didn't. Yeah, they played a season as the Steagles. Wow. Yeah. By, by the way, shout out to Steagles. Um, <laughs> this is something that only matters to like eight people listening to this right now. But there used to be a joint on the corner on campus at Clark Atlanta called oh. Steagles. Um, you are you are too young on this one, but there was a wide receiver at uh, Georgia Tech named Derek Steagle in the late '90s, and he was kin to these Steagles. Oh. And the thing was, as bourgeois as the Atlanta University Center likes to purport itself to be, uh, the Steagle crew was the opposite. I had a homie that once said he went into Steagles one time and he saw somebody pay for a pack of cigarettes with a hundred dollar bill and he ain't getting no change. <laughs> um, somebody, somebody once thought that I was shoplifting from Steagles and I ain't never been more scared in my life. Like it ended with me looking at Mr. Steagles saying, and I quote, "Come on, Mr. Steagle, you know I wouldn't do you like that." Uh, Mr. Steagle was uh, Derek. That Derek Steagle, Mr. Steagle said that he was his uncle. So this is you know to give you a handle of what age. Mr. Steagle is. I walked in there one day in 99 and Mr. Steagle had cornrows. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was interesting to hear you say that they went as uh, as the Steagles. With this ownership situation with Snyder, and I've seen you talk about this, that, you know, we know this. The owner's real big problem is Dan Snyder out here um, not getting the right ROA on that team right he's interfering with everybody else's money and that is the thing that truly and properly offends them which for what it's worth i get it like i would if i were them i might be more offended by you messing with my money than the other stuff right right that's like that's the one thing we did agree upon clearly we didn't agree upon acting right we did agree upon let's get out here and try to get all of this money but man, I don't know why people haven't talked about this. If that team comes open, that bidding war is going to be insane. And how much money is Jeff Bezos going to spend to get that team? So, 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 so much money. I I was arguing on, on my podcast that it's an opportunity for the NFL. And you and I have talked about before the history of this very black city in D.C., the history of the Washington football team being one of the last to uh, I think maybe the last yeah the last team to play with black players which is a good reason why when you walk around this city you see black people in cowboy stuff because the cowboys were a team that had lots of black players and also were good in those in that time but like 
we've been talking about all this diversity stuff in the league for a while. The one thing that we don't have, and they talked about it with the Broncos, that we're going to get close to having a black owner. Like there is no better city than the chocolate city to push for somebody in that situation to, or someone to own that team that's black. However, Jeff Bezos bought a house here in the Washington Post and Jeff Bezos money longer than everything. And they care about their asset value. And he going to be able to bump that thing up real high. Yo, there aren't enough. There's no black person rich enough to do this. I don't think that people understand this. Go look at the list of the billionaires in this country. We all... I forget how many black billionaires it is. I want to say it's something like eight, and you know six of their names. Like they like like Tyler Perry, Oprah, like Rihanna. Yeah. Like we just ain't got the money to buy into an asset like that. So maybe the NFL could be on some, well, we'll let whoever black person is, you know, well, like 30% or whatever it is that you need to own to say that right. you're actually the owner of the team, and then you put this group in around it. But we're going to need more than one black owner to do anything. You know how many we're going to need? Nine. You know why we're yeah. going to need nine? Because it takes 24 votes to get you up out of here, right? <laughs> yeah, like, like we're going we to need enough to be a voting block and to actually protect that other brother. But let me tell you something about being the black billionaire. You ain't get there looking out for black folks. Exactly right. <laughs> I get the time cup, the time cup. I was going to make my way to that point is while like I often like push for diversity in these large white institutions. I also recognize that that ain't really the way, <laughs> you know, like that ain't really the way. <laughs> to accomplish anything close to equity like because in order to like i don't know the right analogy but it feels like polishing a stone is like in order to get something that's as pristine and smooth as it is to get to that situation that person done been through a lot they'd have gone through a lot of erosion like you don't get to get into these rooms by being revolutionary you know, and uh, you brought it up when when Washington hired the first black team president. And it's like, mm, <laughs> slow your roll. Uh, slow your roll. Huey P. Newton, <laughs> he is not. <laughs> so right. uh, I, I think as a symbolic thing, if somebody's going to own the team, somebody's going to be a billionaire, I would love, or someone's going to be in that club, I would love for it to be a black person, man or woman. However, I do not think that it's going to have like some sort of astronomical impact on the way that life is inside or outside of the NFL for black people. All right. So I'll make one point that may seem alarmist in this context, but I do think it's worth noting. There were black slave owners. Yeah. Right. Just something to keep in mind here when you just hey get a black person in there. Everything going to change. No, 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 no. That's that's actually the fear of the white man talking when people say that. Right. The fear that if you get a black person in there, all of a sudden he's going to be out here doing all the bidding and the agency of black people. And I would also say on a similar note, we did eight years. You remember them eight years? Is that how is that how it felt to you? Because it didn't feel that to me. Not saying that that guy is the same as the black slave owners, but you get what I'm saying, right? Like the idea that putting a black person in now means that this is going to be good for black people. You hear how Hove be talking? (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to say, that's like... You don't get get here without, like, uh, changing something. Well, the other part is, have you ever worked for a black person 
it felt remarkably similar to working for a white person. Not the exact same. They accidentally saying the same little stuff they slide in there. But it, it, I don't know anybody that works like a black person. It is, you know, maybe in some of these corporate situations where you got like your DEI Avenger that's in there making it happen. But no, nah, man, a boss is a boss is a boss. Like capitalism is not going to save us. And so when it gets to this idea that we going to have like, well, you know, we can get a black owner. You're right. It will be symbolic but like byron allen was the dude that was in there on the bidding uh for the broncos first of all you know he never had no chance because they sold that team to the walmart people you you think byron allen was getting in there come on now number two i encourage you to take your happy ass out to la and go talk to some people who work for byron allen and ask them Mm -hmm. if the revolution is coming via byron allen ownership (laughs) it's not happening you know what i'm saying when they hired jason wright my issue with jason wright was he had a white man's resume Uh he just happened to be black and what i mean by that is like the working for mckinsey and those sorts of things right so if it's a black person still coming in with the sensibilities of that sector of the world and of the economy then what is the actual benefit of having the black person there now of course it's more beneficial to (laughs) the organization yes than it is to the um people inside the organization Well, well, well how about this i was like you dumbasses thought that Dan Snyder was really going to hire somebody that was going to be doing stuff that you liked. Mm-mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, 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 like that. Yeah. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? That's not how these yeah. things work. So now for the league, they said, like I say, I love that Ursay was like, yeah, I got this. No big deal. We could, we could, we could. He's the only owner that feels like a person. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was. I, I think I was gonna throw Jerry Jones out there, but well, he, he feels like feel not like a person. person. He feels like not a person in a different way. Like I feel like these other guys yeah. feel like not a person as like a robot. Jerry Jones <laughs> is not a person as a cartoon. <laughs> Bro, see, you see cartoon, and I just see a lot of Texas. A yeah, lot, of, like like that's how them rich Texas dudes. Like I know you told this story on Debatable. I know you've told it other places. But I know some people haven't heard it. Tell the story it. about the Jerry's. <laughs> so Jerry Richardson, this is in um, negotiations, CBA negotiations. And um, I, I kept I keep a lot of stories to myself that I can share with you in private because like these are private meetings. So I feel yeah. like uh, it's not fair for me to tell. But this story, I feel like it's fair for me to tell. So Jerry Jones was at a lot of negotiations and he was making money and he was trying to get through these negotiations more quickly. He wasn't one of the more like ardent people pushing his lockout. So I don't remember exactly what we were talking about, but it felt like we were talking about um, money, how much money, breaking money down. And we were getting into the minutiae of it. Jerry said, now we're just circumcising a mosquito and, and he didn't want it. He's like, whatever, take it, blah, moving on. Jerry, Jerry Jones said that Richardson is like telling him to pipe down, like chill out, be quiet. And Richardson's like one of the older guys, uh, had played in the league and like had some clout in that room amongst and the not a small like, man. Oh yeah. He played in the league. He was a defensive end. Maybe he was a big dude. He was an older guy, and so he's telling Jerry to pipe down. He's like, chill out. Like, we doing this? And Jerry Jones turned to him and said, look, I'll work you on the inside, you long arm son of a <laughs> <laughs> That's Texas, baby. Uh, That's I loved Texas. it, man. I uh, loved it. Go to, uh, go to YouTube when you get a chance and look up Joe Jamail Deposition, and you okay. will see them dudes, the, the, the white dudes in Texas like that. 
that's just what it is, man. The chance that somebody go fight, somebody go pull the heat. Like, you're right. He doesn't seem like a real person. He seems like a rich man from Texas, which to <laughs> me is just a little bit more relatable. Uh, also, Jeremy's the best part. Not even really from Texas. He's from Arkansas. He yeah. just got down there and got himself acclimated uh, to what so the Texan well. status quo is. But Ursay is more human. And by the way, I did... Um, a little wiki diving on when the Colts moved to Indianapolis. Can I just briefly say that I think the Ursays may have gotten a little bit of a bad rap? Give it to me. Are we are we Ursay family fr- fans now? Well, no, because it's interesting. Because you know Bob Ursay, Jim's uh-huh. dad, awful, awful man, right? Like okay. no way around it. Awful, unhappy, miserable man. Um, and so what I didn't realize when people talk about the Colts sneaking out in the middle of the night, oh, okay. I did not realize that the state, it was either the state, the city or the county, I can't remember which, but one of those, uh, entities was trying to take the Colts via eminent domain. It's right. And so in, in Baltimore, in Baltimore. And so oh. they were set to vote the next day to take the team back. And so instead of that, he called Indianapolis, the mayor of Indianapolis and was like, yo, what's going on? And so the mayor of Indianapolis, and this is, this is how power works, right? The mayor of Indianapolis lived in the same neighborhood as the CEO of Mayflower trucks. And so I called the CEO of Mayflower trucks and they went down there and they packed it up in the middle of the night and they rolled out before they could get his team repossessed. (laughs) Oh man, this requires a a deeper wiki dive because I don't know, I I don't believe that they just, that Baltimore just woke up and was like, we're going to take your team. No, 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 no. No, they had been, they had been fighting about memorial stadium and apparently it'd been like a decades long fight to get a new stadium or get some improvements made to the stadium and they just wouldn't do it for whatever reason like i'm not judging them on it necessarily but they would not get the stadium done so remember uh, carol rosenblum who eventually wound up being the owner of the rams um his wife was georgia frontier who then was the owner where they won the super bowl and all of that stuff right so Rosenblum had had this problem, and then they eventually worked a deal. I can't remember what it was that wound up with Rosenblum getting the Rams. But then Ursay had the Colts and had been fighting for the stadium, fighting for the stadium. They wouldn't do anything for the stadium. Indianapolis had this stadium. He had gone to all these other places, and Ursay was lying, like, nah, I'm not going to leave the team. But in the end, what it came down to, and this is what wraps back around to Snyder, this mind, damn it, yeah. right? You going to tell me I can't do what I want? With what's mine, and on top of that, y'all go find a way to take it from me? Like, I wasn't able to fully understand the legal case behind the eminent domain part, but y'all think y'all gonna take it from me? No, sir, Rebob. He did the O.J. Simpson. Y'all coming to look for this stuff, but it ain't here. It's <laughs> I gone. It. I love that. I think the, the best little nugget is that the CEO of Mayflower Trucks just in the neighborhood. Yeah. Like, I got some boys to come over there right now. Pack that yep. thing up. <laughs> Yo, and this back in the day, this ain't even calling people on cell phones, right? Oh, yeah. This is waking somebody up at the house. Like, hey, oh, we need God. 15 trucks down there right now. And it's like there was another story that was interesting with that, which is I don't know if you saw the 30 for 30 about the Baltimore Colts marching band. 
Mm-hmm. And so the Colts had the, had a marching band. Um, and then when the Colts left, obviously Baltimore, heartbroken, all of this stuff. And the band, they still stayed together waiting for Baltimore to get a team. And then they, it's the same marching band, yeah. you know, that was at the Ravens games, right? Mm-hmm. Like they held the thing together. But somebody on the inside knew what was going on and called the band and was like, look, we're going to stash these uniforms for y'all. And so they took the uniforms out. Like, that, that's the story I want to see is, like, all the minutia of all those things that happened. But can you imagine somebody telling you, hey, man, they about to come take your team from you tomorrow. They about to come house the whole thing. And so basically all the city could really do, or whichever um, entity it was, was house the training facility that became useless. Yeah, that's mind-blowing. I, I'm, I get it. I mean, that's nothing more American than, than caring about your property. Above yes. all else, like you ain't gonna take this. No, this does not belong to the municipality. No, this is not yes. ours. This <laughs> mine. <laughs> right? Would it come down to it? Nah. But also, if you really were like, "Yo, man, the stadium thing is a problem, dog. The stadium thing is a problem, man," and nobody's doing anything about the stadium, and it actually, to me, altered the course of the next thirty years of sports because this created a much greater impetus for them to build Oriole Park at Camden Yards, which mm-hmm. changed stadium construction yeah. in Major League Baseball. From then on out, the last stadium to be built that was symmetrical was the one in Chicago, the new Comiskey Park, right? Mm-hmm. That was the last one. Camden, after Camden Yards, everybody wanted a retro. Yeah. Camden Yards was a destination, and that became a thing that I think it was like the first of the modern stadiums, I would think. And now yes. they've taken it to a whole nother level with like what's happening with Jerry World and and out in LA, that stadium, those are like the next step. But I think prior to that, you built a stadium, and you know this better than me, but you built a stadium to have a game. <laughs> you know, yes. then it seemed like you built the stadium to have a day out yes. or a night out, and it was yeah, a thing the, to do. The first one was really the Sky Dome in Toronto, where they still oh, play right. now. They had the retractable roof, the Hard Rock Hotel, all of that. But for baseball, it became important with Camden Yards. It was the shape. It was the dynamics. Like, they brought back the old school baseball park because in the late 60s and 70s, they were out there doing something that made too much sense, which is building stadiums that multiple teams can use as opposed to spending hundreds of millions of dollars extra to buy two of them, right? Yeah, right. That, Camden I, I Yards, was, they were like, well, we don't need to. We ain't got no football team. It was, I was a kid in Baltimore when Camden Yards got built, and it was, like, such a source of pride. Like, we got the best of something, you know? Yes. It is a, a city that uh, is very prideful and gets grouped in with the big cities, which I think is unfair. Why Why Baltimore gets, like, uh, gets such a bad rap on so many different ways is because people, like, compare it to D.C. And, like, it ain't D.C. Or compare it to New York. It ain't New York. It's, like, a really awesome Pittsburgh. Well, it used to, it's one of those like St. Louis is in a similar situation. Detroit is getting closer to that situation every day. It used to be like that, right? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, people got around to these cities with a little better weather. And then things were a little bit different, you know, like in a different America, like St. Louis in a previous America had a much, much, much different hold on the national consciousness, right? St. Louis in a different America was the center of the U.S., right? Like, for that part of the world, that's what it was. And then you look up one day, and it's like, yo, y'all been passed. Y'all can't even hold down no basketball team. Y'all done lost your football team twice. You know what I'm saying? Because say what you want about Baltimore. They ain't going to lose that football team again. 
Nah, that's um. You brought up Detroit. My cousin moved out there for work a little while ago for a tech company. I went out there to visit him, and like, well, he don't live in Detroit. Outside Detroit, he lives like plenty of nice stuff there. Even like in the city, they rebuilt certain areas of the city that are nice. But he doesn't live in the city, so I was out there with him, and we were going from his house in the suburbs into the city to go to dinner, and we're driving down some street. <clears throat> There's a man standing on the corner without a shirt on, but. Uh, like a tactical vest holding a nine millimeter in his hand. And I'm like the tactical vest and a nine in your hand. Like that may be a cop. The no shirt. What are you doing? And we just drive through the intersection. People walking by him. It's like, it's nothing happening. And I, I mean, I was only there for like four days, so I'm not trying to pass no judgment. I'm sure you can find wild things in plenty of places, but I was just like, what, where the hell do you live, brother? This is man just standing <laughs> on the corner There's with a nine in like- his hand. It wasn't even like tucked. He's holding it. Like <laughs> it's just dangling, but he's just holding it. Like, is this a toy or are there cameras? Is this candid camera? What are we doing? Get me the hell out of here. Bruh, it's like one time I was driving down from New York back to Durham when I lived there, and it was a Sunday, and there was a little uh, soul food spot in the hood I wanted to hit on the way in. But of course, I'm forgetting where I am, and that it's Sunday, and it's a soul food place. Of course, they're not open, right? Mm -hmm. But I drive down there, and they're not open. And as I come back, I see a dude standing on the corner. I believe it was either a white tee or an undershirt. I can't remember this. And some shorts. And a baseball bat just hanging over his shoulder, and nobody else was outside there but him. And I was like, I need to leave, and I need to leave right now. I don't really know what what is happening here, um, but I know he's not waiting for a pickup game to start across the street. Uh, this is this is not this ain't what I this ain't what I'm about, and this ain't what I need to be anywhere near. I'm not I'm not doing this. I remember when I mean, ain't no food that good. I remember when I got to the age. Where ain't no opportunity that intriguing that I'm going to that part of town. I, when yes. I was in, I was like 14, 15, 16, 17, maybe even 17. No, probably not 17, but around that age. If you said your parents wasn't home, I was going to do whatever I could do to get over there. <laughs> and I was going to crawl through whatever glass I had to crawl through and put myself in whatever situation. But I do remember being like 18 years old. And a young lady like, yeah, just come over here, this part of town. And I'm like, well, we ain't going to be able to do that. (laughs) It ain't ain't worth it. And whatever soul food you was going to get, it ain't worth it to be confronted by a a Louisville slugger with nobody nobody throwing pitches. Man, what you talking about that neighborhood in the pursuit thing, man. One of my good friends in college, because see, there's another thing about the HBCU that's a little bit different than a lot of y'all's colleges, which is you make friends that aren't in college. They be at the college, they be around, but you make friends that aren't in college. And so my man didn't have a car, but just, he was really good at getting us to do stuff for him. Like, I don't have a great explanation for how it was, but he was one of those people that for whatever, and it wasn't like he was on some like super charming, put you under a spell sort of thing, right? He just get a whole lot of I then. And a lot of the I then was, hey, I need to go uh, to this neighborhood to go see such and such. And it would always be that she got a friend and her friend would never be cute. Like, not once. Like, only she would only be cute every now and then. But her friend would never be cute. And I got a grand tour of all these apartment complexes on the south side of Atlanta, right? It might be, like, south side, like, 
east side, Decatur kind of south side. It might be southwest, but whatever it was, it wasn't a place that I was necessarily going to go um, to try to make it happen. It would not. No, 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 no. But I, I knew them all. I went to all them places. Then I had another partner, because this also happens. My man was from New York. He had moved down to Atlanta for school. Got to hanging out. Not the wrong people in the sense of them thugging, but just the wrong people in the sense of them flunking out of school. And he right. basically couldn't go to school no more, but he wanted to stay in Atlanta. And I'll never forget, he stayed in this apartment complex that at the time was called High Tower Ridge off of Del Mar Road in Adamsville. And just so you understand, his rent was $385 a month, and it was a two-bedroom. Bet the element was was thick yeah, <laughs> in well, these apartments. It, it never felt dangerous over there, and maybe I was just ignorant, right? Like it never, I never felt unsafe when I would go to his spot, but it was rough and tumble. Like, like don't, don't yeah. get me wrong. But one time, I, let me tell you, my brother came to pick me up from over there one time, and I had been there the day before. And I was over there. I didn't have, I was calling my brother. I was like, yo, you come give me a ride. He came and picked me up. And I just remember he looked at me and was like, you was over here yesterday with mama's car? I was like, yeah. He's like, hey, man, don't you bring mama's car over here ever again? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I got to be honest. I think you told a story before about certain areas in, in New Orleans. But like, I've lived in cities and I've been to like, some of the bad parts of cities. Like I didn't grow up in that, but like, as is true for many black people, your family is just one degree away from it. And your friends are just one degree away from it. So you find something there, but you said you didn't feel unsafe. And that's the weird thing. It's like, I've never really felt like unsafe in the neighborhood, you know, yeah. like, like I never really felt, and that's maybe just being black or just growing up near it. But I have been in places where I'm like, this ain't safe. Like, I didn't feel like nervous when I walked in there, but I, I was like, eh, anything could happen. Cause it's just like, I don't know. I think the TV and movies make it feel like it's just people standing around waiting to like yeah. rob newcomers. The fact yeah. of the matter is if you're a stranger in these neighborhoods, most of the time they don't want to mess with you because they don't know like, yeah. What you're connected with. Yeah, like there's some exceptions where you better have a name and be able to identify yeah. who it is that you are seeing. But yeah, no, nah, the now I did make a couple wrong turns in Miami when I first got down there. <laughs> and that felt unsafe, but that felt unsafe because Miami set up like a high level Pac-Man board in the sense that you wind up over there in one of them corners and the ghosts come from one direction and you run this way and then the ghost <laughs> might come from the other direction, but you realize you have not run to an open space, you've just run into another corner that you can't get out of. <laughs> like Miami, it is very clear that Miami is configured in such a way that's trying to keep y'all in whatever it is that y'all are. And I wound up in one of those when I first got down there. It was three o'clock in the afternoon. But Miami's not like L.A. Where L.A. you be in the bad neighborhoods in the middle of the day and it looks pretty and everything's okay. Nah, it might be palm trees in that neighborhood in Miami. Don't get me wrong, but ain't no ain't no fooling about this one. There's there's no mystery as to what kind of neighborhood. It is that you are in when you are in that place in Miami. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, man, how we end up here. It's always That's a great question. I was trying to circuitous. I enjoy it. Yeah. Hey, man, but you know what? Those people find it to be entertaining. It'll be all good. NBA action. It is fantastic. Um, it has, in fact, returned. I did not get to watch this. I watched a thrilling, a thrilling contest between the Grizzlies of Memphis 
and the Knickerbockers of New York. It was a very, very, very good and entertaining game. And it make you think the Knicks might actually be decent. But I mean, I've made that mistake before. What I did not watch while I was watching that was the Pelicans and the Nets, which was a good old fashioned beat them down. Yeah. Pelicans went out there, beat the brakes off the Nets from what I could tell. Uh, Dominique, you watched this game. I looked at the box score, and it looked like a whole lot of worst-case scenario for what we've been saying was probably going to happen with the Nets. Yeah, there was the Nets. People have been high on the Nets, which surprised me, like, going into this season. I guess the rationale behind that is Kyrie's going to be playing for something. Kevin Durant is still Kevin Durant, and this is a situation where Ben Simmons can thrive. Like, I get that logic, and I guess I, I don't know what the logic is around Steve Nash figuring it out. Uh, but they also just against the Pelicans is a bad matchup too. Cause the Pelicans feel so deep, you know, like they have so many players that like I could see playing legitimate playoff minutes and your man, Ben Simmons, I think, uh, after the game, they said, uh, Steve Nash said that he was a little rusty. I was like, Hmm, shots get rusty. Hold on. Everybody rusty. You may not have played in two years, but ain't nobody ain't, ain't nobody played in months. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's a it's a sad thing. But yeah, I, I left that game feeling like New Orleans is a legitimate. Um, Ingram is like KD light, which is still pretty impressive. And I, I don't I didn't know how they were gonna fit Zion into it, and I don't know how they are once they get to the playoffs. But when you got somebody that's that special, just let him get out there. And C.J. McCollum, like, they just have so many options. And, like, Herb Jones, like, an outstanding defender. It was a, a fun game to watch. But I don't know. Them Celtics, boy, they're going to be tough. The, the Eastern general, Bruh. it's going to be something. Ben Simmons took three shots in 23 minutes and had six fouls. I'm just trying to understand what calls for optimism there is about this dude. Because the mistake that everybody was making with him is – it wasn't about the fact that he wouldn't shoot threes. The problem was that he wouldn't shoot unless he could absolutely be positive that shot was going in from inside the paint. He was shooting something like 90% of his shots from within 10 feet when we first started having these discussions. It's probably over with that dude, man. Like, there's just, if, you, if nobody has to worry about you scoring, you can't be a playmaker because you're trying to make passes against there's four dudes over there and there's five of them back there. You're not going to be able to pull that off, right? Kyrie, I mean, six for 19. Like, everything that, that you hope don't happen to these dudes, if you root for them, seem to go down in that game. They, hey, and by the way, there's a good chance they can start the season 0-5, at which point all hell breaks loose. Yeah, Kyrie's still doing nasty stuff out there, which is still fun to watch and impressive, but six for 19 is going to be unacceptable. The Ben Simmons argument, I guess, for Ben Simmons' optimist is Draymond Green, but I don't know Ben Simmons' like offensive basketball IQ. I know Draymond's is apparently off the chart, and Draymond also like is willing to miss shots and not care. Like whatever, you, however you want to characterize that as mental toughness or arrogance or or whatever delusional confidence is something that you need, and it's clear. Like Ben Simmons had one one of his assists was. Like it felt almost identical to the play that he got mocked for in the playoffs where I think it was KD. Somebody created, a, it was a high pick and roll, created a, a slash for Ben Simmons, gave it to him. He approached the basket and like up faked and got Nats in the air. And like rather than finishing, he 
dumped it to somebody else who finished and like they got it finished but it's also like man it, it just it seems like it's still there it's still going to be an issue and like I, i'm sure you've heard and talked to people like the about the like whatever mental challenges that he's going through emotional challenges that he's going through like it seems like it's not just flatly confidence there's something else going on which is like i i'm sympathetic to but his job what's going on you know well let me think I, the ment- the mental health part struck me as you were talking because it's such a broad term right. mental health right this is the one and and i you know again there is a concern in some measure that people are throwing out mental health like these dudes was throwing out hippo when they didn't want to talk about their vaccination status, right? Yeah. Like, like, you just throw this thing out there, and then once you say it, nobody deals with you anymore. And I'm not saying that Ben Simmons was being dishonest about whatever his mental health challenges were. In this case, what I'm saying is the term is so broad that we were never able to, like, actually figure out what it was that we were talking about because right. what we were looking at on the basketball court the last time we had seen him appeared to be a mental health challenge about basketball right Right. like a sports psychology mental health challenge but it seemed to be a mental health challenge nonetheless but it also sounds like he had some real life stuff that Mm -hmm. was going on and that's what kept him off the court and that he was dedicating his energies to dealing with the real life stuff and I hope he got that straight and I wish him the best on that but it is a fair question to ask did you have any time to work on like being scared to shoot yeah like, like not saying that that's what's most important, right? There's a big old that's life right. out here. It's bigger than that. However, did you have time to deal with the fact that you were scared to shoot? Because it looked like you didn't really get to the bottom of yeah. that one. Right. Yeah. I mean, and I think for us evaluating the basketball stuff, like we can't pretend like that don't exist. You know, <laughs> like for whatever reason that is that it's apparent, like if it's so bad that you got to walk away, then you got to walk away. Um you got to do that, but we can't, we can't pretend like it's not happening and we can't pretend like it hasn't, like it's, it's not there anymore. So, uh, I think it's important to be delicate, I guess, with how we talk about this, because I guess I also don't know where it ends up because the term is so broad. It's like, I don't know. I don't want to be the guy out here that's like, Oh, he's terrible. He can't get it done. And then something else happened. But the fact of the matter is he ain't the guy that, yeah. that he was billed as. And we, some of us still expect him to get there, and I don't see any reason for optimism that he's going to no. get there. Look, man, if you're scared to shoot, you can't play. Right. I mean, that's, it doesn't matter why you're scared to shoot. Like, that is an uncomfortable, fundamental truth. If you are scared to shoot, you can't play. I don't know why any of the basketball hipster types that are still holding on to the Ben Simmons can't get that simple fundamental thing like he's talking about this with pablo we do a high noon he'd just be like well i just want to see him get out here on a team with four shooters what team has four shooters right like that and it's not just four shooters you want four shooters who can also do all the other stuff that you need a basketball team to do that that ain't there like i'm looking at that starting lineup from yesterday kevin durant royce o'neal nick claxton kyrie irvin and ben simmons that ain't four shooters dog I mean, he's not good enough to build around in that way. I think that possibly there's some talents that are unique enough. Like LeBron, for example, he's unique enough a talent, special enough a talent that I'm like, all right, 
every decision that we make has to be around properly supporting him in his prime. That's fair. I think that's the tough thing for Ben Simmons is when you make an argument for Ben Simmons being successful, it includes you putting him at the center piece of an organization and building around him. And like, he's not good enough or consistent enough to be like, yeah, let's do this. So like at the high school level, at the college level, at lower levels, yeah, that's fine. We can do that. But like at the NBA, if, if this, you can possibly do that for the number one person. And it's probably only, I don't know, 10 to 15 guys. And I guess you get to be one of those guys because you don't have that many limitations. So like, it's a weird argument. And the one thing that I stumbled upon on on my podcast when we did basketball question that I have, this made me think of it because you're like, you can't shoot, you can't play. I really thought that that um, Gobert trade was terrible for like the price, but also for the fit. And I'm obviously open to idea that I don't understand basketball X's and O's as well as basketball coaches do, but I just don't get it. And maybe someone will come with an answer. I've been asking basketball people. I don't get how you get better offensively and defensively by adding another big to this. When teams go small, what are you going to do with both of those big dudes? And then on offense, like what are you going to do in that situation when people slough off of Rudy Gobert uh, in the playoffs? I just don't, you don't make that trade unless you're trying to make a run. And yeah. that does that seems like a regular season booster, but not a playoff booster. Well, it's going to come down to what it's always come down to, to me for Minnesota, is what you got, Carl Towns, right? right. Carl Towns wants to be a power forward, right? He wants to be a face-the-basket player. That's, you know, and if you want to play like that, you're going to have to be a perimeter defender that can move his feet and go up and down and point. that he can't do now maybe your maybe your thought is we get rudy back here and rudy can clean up some of these right. mistakes right like right. maybe that's the way they look at it and then it frees carl up to never have to go bang and tussle with anybody ever again i see something there was some unfortunate thing that happened with carl i think he had a viral infection or something like that and i just need y'all to let me know how much time has got to pass after that before we can start being honest about carl towns because every time something bad happened to carl towns y'all like like i gotta act like he ain't what he is as a basketball player so you know y'all let me know when it's okay when he's gained enough weight for us to have like honest discussion of carl towns but i agree it's a regular season booster but i also i I watch debatable but you guys talking about this and i agree with Waz about this the problem was they were asking rudy to guard everybody Right. Right. Like Rudy, Mm -hmm. Rudy, Rudy did well on those switches. He was not bad on those switches, but nobody else could cover for Rudy. But yeah, that is a move where I did wonder exactly like, so what's this going to be? Now to me, is this the move that you make ultimately hoping that you can get to the day that you can sell high on Carl Towns? Because that's what I would be doing if I ran that team. That so that that would be smart uh, because I think Carl Townsend in another situation could be outstanding. But I guess the the thing that I always come back to is like in the playoffs we're looking for mismatches, and if you got Carl Anthony Towns running the four, which you have to because you want Rudy close to the basket, so he's gonna be the five defensively. Like it's an automatic mismatch. We only gotta run you through no screens to get you in an athletic mismatch. So mm-hmm. yeah, Rudy can clean it up, but then the defense gonna have to rotate, and you're gonna end up with a lot of open threes. And I guess since Carl Anthony Towns is the best shooting big man of all times. Let him tell it. He going to hit them threes on the other end. I just Every I don't time know. he says that, I'm like, that's the problem with you. Even <laughs> if it's the truth. The fact that you're yeah. saying it out loud. That's the problem with you. Yeah. Um, I want to throw something out right fast. And I'm saying right fast. And it's not maybe not be a right fast thing. But I think we can do it. I just want to know what you think about this. Russell Wilson 2022 is Dwight Howard 
2013. <sighs> Remember how like we used it. to love Dwight yeah. Howard? Yeah, Remember how everybody like used to like Dwight Howard and then Dwight Howard got exposed by people the way they looked at it with that Stan Van Gundy moment. And then after yeah. that, for the last 10 years, all anybody been doing is talking about how much they didn't like Dwight Howard, how Dwight Howard was a phony, how Dwight Howard was all of that stuff. Dog, it's gone so far with Russell yeah. Wilson. I had to tell Apple News, yo, stop, stop sending me stuff yeah. about people banging on Russell Wilson. Michael Robinson just came yeah. out here and got him. I've never seen anything like this where they're like, oh, the relentless optimism, it has to stop and da-da-da. And also for Russell, this is the first time that his team hasn't like actually been good. There was always reason to be optimistic before and just be like, yo, we just got to get it back on track. But I've never seen anything like this. I've seen people fall off a cliff and that yeah. seems to be what's happening with him. But I've yeah. never, ever, ever seen people turn on a dude who ain't done nothing to nobody. <laughs> he not even saying let's ride no more. No. The man is, is, feels defeated. I, the cycle for me has already gone to sympathy. I don't know if other people are there Yeah, yet, I'm there, I'm there now like, too. <laughs> yeah, it's like, man, like, chill, guys. Like, it was funny week one. But now it just feels unnecessary because your point, he ain't never done nothing to nobody for, like, wanting to be liked ain't a crime or like wanting to be accepted ain't a crime. And uh, we talked a while ago about like the perceived inauthenticity. Like, yeah, that's fine. But why y'all so mad at him? <laughs> it just, well, it just feels like Kevin Durant toxic. Yeah. I'll give you another level on that. David Dennis has made this point. And I think his point of origin is he ties it to future. And I don't, right? Like, I don't yeah. think that this is so tied to future. But I do think, and it's worth noting, ain't nobody hammering no white quarterback like this, man. Yeah. Ain't, ain't nobody coming out. Like, they didn't even do this to Jay Cutler. Nobody comes. I mean, you played with, now granted, you played with Jay, and I hear that people who played with him weren't nearly as down on him as the general public was. But people don't do this to white quarterbacks, no matter how obnoxious or, easy, or disliked or whatever it is that they are. Like, you think we get the real Kirk Cousins every day? Probably not. You don't hear anybody say anything about it like you've heard about it with Russell. Yeah, uh, it feels like Russ is trying to play that quarterback character that all quarterbacks play. And why he's the only one who's catching hell for it, uh, I don't know. Well, he do I mean, go the extra mile. He do go there. Yeah. I don't want to pretend like he don't go the extra yeah. mile. I mean, yeah, he does, but it's still like, I feel like the response is not like, is not fair, but yeah. Jay Cutler, one thing for Jay Cutler is it wasn't inauthentic. Like, <laughs> That's you know, what like, was. Yeah. I, I, I played with him for a couple of years in Denver and like normally anybody you play with, I see him, even if we weren't close, you see him and you like, you're excited to see him. You stop, you talk, you like, whatever. I ran into Jay at the Miami Super Bowl. It was head nods both ways. <laughs> <laughs> just back and forth head nods. Like, it's just, that's who he is. And I'm sure he has people that he's really tight with from football. But, like, that was Jay Cutler. And that was also the, the like, Jay persona that we got in press conferences. I think the, the Russell thing is people think that it's something else out there. Maybe we just need to accept that he's not that good of an actor. It's just who he is. And, yeah. and not have different expectations of him to be some version of blackness that, but I think and, um, people, I don't even think accept. they need to be a version of blackness, man. They just need to be something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, they just, I mean, he better ball, dog. Like, yeah. like he, he, he better ball and it better start really. Well, first of all, Nathaniel Hackett, Russell Wilson balls or you're fired, period. Yeah. There's no other yeah. option. That's it. 
Yeah, I, uh, and they signed in. They they linked for a long time, so somebody gonna have to go if the rest of the season don't go well. It ain't gonna be Russ and that Walmart money. It's gonna be all right. <laughs> Send you packet, <laughs> kind sir. Uh, they need to go ahead and, and promote the defensive coordinator Evero. He the only one that's doing anything. That defense is balling out there with no support. Just the second half of that game, they went three and out every time. That defense still went out there and and uh. And stopped a, a talented offense. Yeah, that what they're doing out there is special. It's really hard to like produce in the midst of what seems like a weekly prime time embarrassing fiasco. And somehow they stay focused. They show up and they damn execute every week. And we're not celebrating that nearly as much as we mocking the fact that Russ can't cook. Yeah, that's the last thing I'm gonna bring up before we roll on Russ. That is the worst for him. A running theme of me on this show for years has been national tv man yeah. you you gotta like like it shapes perception more than anything else the nationally televised games through six weeks they've played three of them and have been embarrassed three straight times on national television it ain't making this no better guys yeah, no better but hey that is dominique fosworth Check him out on Get Up. Check him out on Anscape. Check out the Dominique Foxworth show. Check him out on Me and the show with Lenny. Check him out on Debatable. He is everywhere. My brother, I appreciate you. <laughs> thanks, buddy. All right, man. And ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on The Right Time. We do this three. Oh, thank you for watching us on YouTube. Can't forget you guys. We do this three times a week. Dan Stanchik and Adi Khan handling things behind the scenes. Thank you, gentlemen. Remember, follow the right time. Rate us. Review us. Give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. And we'll talk to you guys in a couple of days. Take it easy. Thanks for checking out The Right Time with Bomani Jones Podcast. You can listen or follow on the ESPN app or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Right Time with Bomani Jones.